0: Ski, Shoot, Repeat, a biathlon podcast hosted by Lizzie Boyle. Episode 2 You're in the Army Now. In the beginning, there were the primal waters and the air. The air had a daughter named Ilmatar. Ilmatar descended from the air into the waters and became pregnant. A great deal of time passed, but she was unable to give birth. One day, A duck, possibly a teal or a golden eye, flew by looking for a place to nest. It landed on Ilmatar's knee and laid its eggs. As the duck incubated the eggs, Ilmatar's knee grew warmer and warmer, until she was burned by the heat. She moved her knee, spilling the eggs into the water where they shattered. The broken eggshells formed the land and the sky. The egg whites turned into the moon and the stars and the yoke became the sun. Ilmatar continued to float in the waters. Her footprints became pools for fish, and by pointing she created contours in the land. In this way, she made everything come into being. So begins the Kalevala, Finland's national myth. It's an incredible work of verse, compiled in the 19th century, but based upon older writings that tell the stories of heroes and quests, marriages and disasters, the Finnish equivalent of a holy grail, and a landscape and natural environment full of migrating birds, the cycles of day and night, and radically different seasons. Welcome to episode two of Ski Shoot Repeat. In this episode we'll be talking more about Finland, the host country for the first round of races in this year's Biathlon World Cup, I'm recording this on Monday the 28th of November, and the first race is tomorrow, Tuesday the 29th. I'll also be talking about Finland and biathlon, previewing what to expect this week, which races to look out for and how to watch. And, as mentioned last time, I'll also be talking about the connections between military history and biathlon. You may notice that my voice is a little bit huskier than last time. Um, I'm just at the tail end of a fairly nasty cold. Um, so hopefully my voice will survive until the end of this recording. So this week marks the start of the 2022 to 23 by Afton World Cup season. The racing takes place in Kontiolahti in Finland. It's a small municipality of about 20 villages home to around 15,000 people. It's close to the large town of Jönsu in northern Karelia, on the eastern side of Finland. Karelia itself is hugely important territory for Finland. It's been contested for a long time and was the stage for a great deal of activity in World War II. But we'll get to that. For a sense of contulati, get yourself on Google Street View and have a virtual drive around. Even better, look at Google Earth and you'll see the vast array of forests and lakes that epitomise Karelia And Finland more generally. There are over 120 lakes in Contiolati, covering almost a quarter of the municipal area. Finland itself is called the land of a thousand lakes, but is home to well over a hundred thousand of them, in amongst heavily forested areas. Almost three-quarters of the country is covered with trees. Although recently not as strong as Norway, Sweden, Germany, Russia in biathlon, Finland has had world-class competitors in, in this discipline. Heiki Ikola and Juhani Suterainen were both highly successful in the 1970s. Ikola won four world championship goals, Suterainen won three. Ikola then went on to coach the Finnish biathlon team in the late 80s and early 90s. Now, I don't want to get into a downer this early into the podcast, but in order to understand Finnish sports now, you have to know about what happened then. In 2001... An entire group of Finnish cross-country skiers, including six who had meddled at the Winter Olympics in 1998, tested positive for doping. It was blood doping with EPO, and then the use of other substances to cover it up. It was these other substances that were discovered, demonstrating once again that it's the cover-up that will kill you. The key thing here is that it was organised, systematic, and coordinated by the authorities. Now this was very much related to cross-country skiing and not to other sports, but it has cast a long shadow over other sports. And Finland has taken some time to rebuild its structures and its confidence to compete at the level that you might expect for what was once an incredibly successful nation. It's the same sort of long hangover that you see in road cycling, where the actions of a sizable group of people in the 90s and 2000s still influence how performance is viewed in the peloton 20 plus years later. Finland in the 2000s was also seeing a broader cultural shift, likely accelerated by the doping scandal, but also generational change, away from cross-country skiing towards more modern and exciting sports like snowboarding, and of course the continued Finnish love affair with ice hockey. Times do change, however, and new generation of athletes come through. In recent years, Kaiser Makarainen has been the star of Finnish biathlon. She won the overall World Cup three times in the 2010s, mainly thanks to her incredible skiing speed, but she has now retired aged 39. Following in her ski tracks, Marie Ada has really improved over the last couple of years and could be competitive this season, but she too is in her mid-30s, so probably coming to the end of her career. The best Finnish male by athlete in the past season was Tero Seppala. He knocked on the podium a few times and finished 12th in the overall rankings. He's really matured into the sport in the past couple of years, building his ski endurance and improving his action in the shooting range. Speaking of the shooting range, I promised you a bit more on military history. The first people to receive prizes for biathlon were Norwegian ski soldiers in 1767. The competition at the time seems to have been more a downhill race with shooting at high speed, which sounds both awesome and perilous at the same time. The need for ski-shooting ebbed and flowed, depending on the relationships and border frictions between the Scandinavian nations. So here's a quick potted history of Scandinavia, including a lot that I didn't know, and excluding a huge amount of nuance in the interest of getting back to biathlon. For a long time, Scandinavia was based upon a series of political unions. The Kalmar Union in 1397 joined Norway, Denmark and Sweden under one king it picked up quite a bit of Finland which was under Swedish control and various offshore territories like Iceland, Greenland and the Faroe Islands. Sweden rebelled against this arrangement in 1523 and it came to an end a few years later leaving a union of Denmark and Norway until the early 1800s. At that point the Napoleonic Wars were in full swing. Denmark-Norways tried to stay neutral but managed to annoy the British who popped into Copenhagen and destroyed the Danish Navy. After the Napoleonic War shakeout, the initial plan was that Denmark would cede Norway to Sweden. Norway said, not so much, so a more lax agreement was established called the Personal Union. This meant a common monarch and a common foreign policy, but separation of everything else. By the mid 1800s, there were competing movements in place. A growing Scandinavianism, which promoted closer relations between Denmark, Sweden, and Norway. And a growing push for Norwegian independence. The main points of argument were around Norway wanting its own foreign policy and consulates. Arguments rumbled on, troops were massed, there was a public vote, and eventually there was a peaceful settlement of Norwegian independence in 1905. Suffice to say that during this time, ski shooting became something that was more and more practised by troops, whether as part of their military training or as a demonstration of sporting skill. So, where's Finland in all of this? It was mostly ruled by Sweden, though with Russian insurrections, particularly in Karelia. Look at a map of Finland and Russia, and you'll see the thin strip of land north of St. Petersburg, which connects the two. This was strategically important. Sweden was a major power in the 1700s, Russia was increasingly keen to shore up its northern borders, especially given the importance of St. Petersburg for access to the Baltic Sea. Finland was often a battleground between Sweden and Russia, and life was not particularly great in the peaceful periods either. In 1809, the Russians defeated the Swedes and took control over Finland. Now, much as Norwegian nationalism had started to grow in the late 1800s, so did Finnish nationalism. This was a pushback against policies to Russify Finland, that is, to bring it more into cultural sync with Russia. There was a growing interest in Finnish language, tradition, myths and culture, a romanticism, if you like and the gathering of Finnish myths into the Kalevala, which I mentioned at the start of this episode. By the early 1900s, Finland was asserting itself, and when the Russian Revolution came, Finland took the opportunity to declare its independence. This was granted, but led to a brief and divisive civil war between the Whites, who were the more Swedish-leaning middle and upper classes, along with the working and peasant classes from the North, versus the Reds, the more socialist-leaning working class and peasants, who were inspired by the Russian Revolution. The Whites won. The point of all this backstory is to get to a moment in Finnish history, which is well documented, but which also feels important to mention in this time of David vs. Goliath wars and social movements. In 1941, the Soviet Union invaded Finland, using the land connections in South Karelia. Check that map again, you'll see the land either side of Lake Ledoga. The Finns resisted, in an incredible display of guerrilla warfare and in particular by matching their skills to their territory in a way that took the Soviet troops by surprise. The Soviets came in large numbers in long lines of tanks and troops using the very limited road infrastructure. The Finns came quickly, quietly, on skis and with improvised ways of breaking tanks and trucks including simply sticking branches in the axles. If you could take out the tank at the front of the line you could stop the whole invasion. At least for a while. Nimble Finnish troops were able to cause chaos and disappear again, massively frustrating the Soviet generals who were also dealing with grumblings from foot soldiers who had been sent to war in the winter with inadequate supplies, leaky boots and the wrong clothing. The Finns held out for three and a half months before they eventually had to concede defeat. They were able to retain their independence in return for ceding about 10% of their territory including some of those pieces of land that we've seen on the map. It might sound like a border skirmish, but the Winter War had a longer-term impact that made a huge difference later. The embarrassment of Russia by these upstarts on skis A. meant that Germany felt they could try and invade Russia because they were sure to win and B. led Stalin to resupply and strengthen the Soviet army so that when Hitler's troops did invade, they were met by a much stronger defensive force, turned the course of the war. The success of the Finnish ski troops also inspired other nations to improve and promote their own ski troops, including the United States, which deployed the 10th Mountain Division to fight in subsequent battles, mostly in Italy. However, the Winter War remains a powerful example of how the tiny can stand up to the mighty, and that, perhaps, the act of defiance and resistance is more important than the outcome of that resistance. So that's the history lesson. Now on to this week's biathlon. Firstly, a quick recap from last episode about the types of biathlon races. The individual races set off individually. Men race twenty kilometres, women fifteen, with four shoots, two in the prone position and two standing. Every miss means one minute added to your time. So this one rewards steady, strong skiing and accurate shooting. The sprint is the blast. Again, everyone sets off individually. Men race 10 kilometers, women seven and a half, with two shoots, one in each position. Every miss comes with a 150 meter penalty loop. Fast skiing can make up for misses on the range. In the pursuit, skiers start at time intervals based on the results of the sprint. Everyone races all together and the first one across the line wins. Men's pursuits are 12 and kilometers, women's are 10, with four shoots, two prone, two standing. A miss means 150 metres on that penalty loop. In a mass start, everyone sets off together, and the first one to the finish wins. Not all races happen at all meets, so there's no mass start in Contiolati. There will be team relays, however. Four racers for each team, each taking it in turns to ski and shoot once in each position. So apart from the mass start, you will get to see everything else. And the schedule looks like this. Uh, These times are UK times, uh, hopefully, based on my um, transposition of the time in Finland. So check your TV schedules just in case I've got it wrong. So Tuesday, 29th of November, that's tomorrow, 12.15, the men's individual 20 kilometres. On Wednesday, the 30th of November, again at 12.15, the women's individual over 15 kilometres. On Thursday, we have the double header of relay races with the men's at 10 o'clock in the morning and the women's at 12.35. On Saturday, we have the double header of sprint races um, starting a little earlier, so the men's at 9.45 UK time and the women's at 12.45. And then on Sunday, the 4th of December, we have both of the pursuit races the men's from 11.15 and the women's from 1.15. So who to look out for? Well, on the men's side, the big favourites will be the Norwegians. Johannes Tingisbo is the ma- the best male biathlete in the world at the moment, if he can put it all together. His ski speed is phenomenal. Um, he's much taller than many of the other biathletes and, and has a bit of a kind of Usain Bolt speed advantage, I think, from that. A Couple of years ago, his, his shooting was also phenomenal and he was almost unbeatable. Last year, his, his shooting was off. It was very wild and variable. Um, but if he's on form, he's hard to beat. The other Norwegian, Vettel Christiansen, is a brilliant shot. Always has been. But he's been skiing faster and faster each year. Last year, really, he started to be able to keep up with the, the, the fastest of the skiers. Um, he's a really strong bet for uh, the individual race. The other main favourite team in the men's side would be the French. All about the French team. Quentin Fillon was last year's most consistent racer the winner of the overall World Cup and fantastic at all pursuit races. Emilien Jacqueline is my personal favourite. He's more likely to feature in the sprint or the pursuit than in the individual. Um, he's a, a sort of short burst athlete. He's quite mercurial though. He's It's sort of death or glory with him and I think sometimes the kind of adrenaline goes to his head a little bit and he, he overdoes it on the skiing and then struggles in the shooting. But hopefully some of that will have kind of settle down in his system for this season. The Swedish men have a lot of ski speed, but they do struggle with the shooting. If one of them can get it together, then they're likely to do very well, and the team will likely perform very well in the relay. We've mentioned Tero Seppala as the home favorite for the Finns. Uh, there's a cluster of Germans and Austrians. They don't tend to fare well away from home or early in the season. As an outlier, how about Jacob Strecki from the Czech Republic, who is improving as he matures building a really consistent set of results. On the women's side, things are very open. Two of the top Norwegians won't be in Finland this week, so that there are opportunities for others to step up. The main favourites among the women are probably the Swedes. They always start the season well and have some great athletes. Hannah Erberg, her sister Elvira, Stina Nielsen, who's a recent convert from cross-country skiing, and Lynn Person, who is reliability personified. This will be an incredible relay team, probably unbeatable. Individually, each could perform well as well. Elvira Erberg is more of a sprinter. The others can perform in any discipline. Hannah Erberg is a born pursuiter. Any of the four French women could be on the podium in any race, but it's hard to pick a nailed-on winner as their form tends to fluctuate. If Julia Simon does well in the sprint, then the pursuit could come down to a two-way fight between her and Hannah Erberg. Lisa Teresa Hauser of Austria is hard to beat in an individual 15km race. She's a fantastic shot with a great endurance engine. Marketa Davidova of the Czech Republic has huge talent and is improving in consistency. You get the feeling that once she starts to win she'll get used to the habit. Dorothy Vera of Italy was unbeatable two years ago but off the pace last year. If you get the chance watch her in the shooting range though. If she's feeling good she will take off her rifle, rattle through her shots and get away at incredible speed, shooting on pure instinct. So how to watch? Well, the Biathlon will be live on Eurosport, uh, which is part of most Freeview packages, as well as the main paid cable or satellite services. If you miss it live, then Eurosport tends to replay races later the same afternoon or early evening. If you're really keen, I hope you are, then you can subscribe to Eurosport or Discovery Plus. If you can only watch one thing, then I'd encourage you to watch the sprints. Um, Get a sense of the pace of a race, the performance of individual races, and how the tension can build. It might look like quite a long time commitment to watch the sprint, but the groups are seeded, so the best races tend to go relatively early. You don't have to stay to the end. And if you're going to watch the sprint, you might as well also watch the pursuit on Sunday. It's a shorter race in terms of time commitment, very dramatic with people chasing down the leaders, and has the unfolding of an Act 2 over the weekend. I'll be watching, and if you are, drop me a line at Ski Shoot Repeat on Twitter or Instagram. Let me know who you're rooting for, what you think of the action, and what's exciting you. Thank you for listening. This has been Episode 2 of Ski Shoot Repeat. You can find a transcript of this episode, along with links to all sorts of background information, at Ski skishootrepeat.podbean.com. Please do follow me on Twitter at ski shoot repeat and on Instagram ski shoot repeat. And please do tell me, get in touch, and tell me what's right and what's wrong. As I said before this podcast is built more on love than on knowledge, so I do expect to get corrections and fact checks. Also, questions, what you're interested in. Let me know what you'd like to hear about in future episodes. I'll be back next week to review the racing in Contiulati. Look forward and ahead to the second week of racing and explore some of the other topics that this podcast has in mind. Thank you for listening to Ski Shoot Repeat. I've been Lizzie Boyle.